The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Let us open our Bibles to Acts chapter 7, and we're going to just tell the story of Stephen, who is the first martyr of the church. The title of the message is The Crown of Glory. We mentioned last week how the name Stephen means crown. And uh, it is a, this is the first brother in Christ that gave his life for the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're going to read through the whole chapter, chapter 7. I'll just make a few brief comments along the way, because the one preaching tonight, you're going to hear personally the ministry of the gospel through your brother Stephen, the first martyr of the church. Amen? So I've got, you know, got little highlights that we'll kind of go through and break this down. The first one is... The people had forgotten their own spiritual roots. Stephen has been arrested. He is now brought before the same council, Sanhedrin, that had tried and then tortured and then killed Jesus. Peter and John have been brought before them. They were beat up, thrown in prison, then told don't preach anymore in his name, but let go. But now Stephen is brought before them and this, this young man begins to preach a message of Jesus that is so full of fire. Imagine this, preaching a message that by the end of the message, your face shines like an angel. I, how many of you would love to have that? Amen? So he begins chapter 7, verse 1. It says, Then the high priest said, Are these things so? They had brought accusations against Stephen. He's against the Moses. He's against the law. He's against the temple. And he said, Brothers and fathers, listen. The God of glory appeared in, to our father Abraham when he was in Mesopotamia, before he dwelt in Haran. And he said to him, get out of your country and from your relatives and come to a land I will show you. And then he came out of the land of the Chaldeans, which is modern day Iraq, and he dwelt in Haran. And from there, when his father was dead, so he waited for his father to die, he moved him to this land in which you now dwell. So Stephen is teaching, preaching to his own Jewish brethren. And God gave him no inheritance in it, not even enough to set his foot on. But when, even when Abraham had no child, he promised to give it to him for a possession and to his descendants after him. But God spoke in this way that his descendants would dwell in a foreign land and that they would bring them into bondage and oppress them for 100 years. So they would be brought into Egypt. He's giving Abraham his future. By the way, when you come to trust in God as your father, he gives you your future. How many of you would love to know your future? We have a good father. It's going to be all right. I'll be with you. And the nation to whom they will be in bondage I will judge. How many can say amen to that? Amen. Anybody that messes with you, your family, your tribe, God's going to judge them. I say, thank you, Lord. And after that, they shall come out and serve me in this place. Then he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begot Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac begot Jacob and Jacob begot the 12 patriarchs. So this is great. Uh, Stephen begins with the Jewish history. It all started with our father Abraham. They love being able to say, we are the sons of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And he gives them all of this. 
So Stephen's address begins with the glory of God. And by the time he gets finished, we go to the God of glory. I love how they were accusing him, you're preaching against Moses. But by the end, it was Moses' face who was shining with the glory of God. And now Stephen's face is shining with the glory of God. It was like God saying, no, Stephen's more like Moses than all the rest of you put together. So why? Why this glory? Why the call of Abraham? God gave Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and their descendants and the Jewish people, he gave them his glory. God wants to manifest his glory. God's everywhere. But his manifest glory, we don't see him everywhere since the world has fallen. But there are times and places where God reveals himself, manifests his glory, lets us be able to behold him and see him. So Stephen is giving to them that history. And ultimately, he's going to lead now to the glory that was revealed through Jesus Christ. But Abraham was saved by grace through faith. Because as Stephen says, he wasn't saved because he was circumcised or because he would later his people be given the law or that he worshipped in a temple. But Abraham was saved by his simple faith in the power of God and the presence of God and the promise of God. So that's, if you're a child of Abraham, you believe that you have salvation and relationship with him based on your simple faith and his goodness and his character and grace. Amen? Amen. All right, so let's go on. He continues in verses 9 through 36. And as he goes on into his next point, the biblical pattern of first rejection and then finally acceptance. This is a prophetic pattern. And it was in the history of Israel, and it's also even in our own lives. Many times when God begins to do something new, we reject whatever new thing God wants to say or what God wants to do. But we have a way of, you know, those who are really his children, taking a second look at it. And by the time we think about it and allow the Holy Spirit to convict us, we go, I changed my mind. <laughs> and then we end up accepting the very thing in the beginning we reacted to or we rejected. So listen to what he says, beginning in verse 9. It says, And the patriarchs, becoming envious, sold Joseph into Egypt. But God was with him and delivered him out of all his troubles, and gave him favor and wisdom in the presence of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. And he made him governor over Egypt and all his house. Now a famine and great trouble came over all the land of Egypt and Canaan, and our fathers found no sustenance. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent our, our fathers first. And the, listen to this in verse 13. The second time Joseph was made known to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Then Joseph sent and called his father Jacob and all his relatives to him, 75 people. So Jacob went down to Egypt, and he died, he and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham bought for a sum of money from the sons of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham, the people grew and multiplied in Egypt till another king arose who did not know Joseph. So he's telling stories they're familiar with. They know their history, but they like these stories because it makes them look good. 
And then he goes on, verse eight, verse 19. This man dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making them expose their babies so that they might not live. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. And he was brought up to his father's house for three months. But when he was set out, Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. And Moses was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now, when he was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brethren, the children of Israel. And seeing one of them suffer a wrong, he defended and avenged him who was oppressed and struck down the Egyptian. For he supposed that his brethren would have understood that God would deliver them by his hand, but they did not understand. And the next day he appeared to two of them as they were fighting and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are my brethren. Why do you wrong one another? But he who did his neighbor wrong pushed him away, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me? as you did the Egyptian yesterday? And then, at this saying, Moses fled and became a dweller in the land of Midian, where he had two sons. And when 40 years had passed, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire in a bush in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. And when Moses saw it, he marveled at the sight. And as he drew near to observe, the voice of the Lord came to him saying, I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses trembled and dared not even look. And then the Lord said to him, Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their groaning and have come down to deliver them. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. Now, this Moses, whom they at first rejected, saying, who made you a ruler and a judge, is the one God sent to be a ruler and a deliverer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. He brought them out after he had shown wonders and signs in the land of Egypt and in the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. All right? So here's what Stephen is doing. Both the stories of Joseph, which they knew very well, and Moses have this in common. Both Joseph and Moses were rejected at their first coming. And they were then both accepted and received in their second coming. Joseph was hated by his brothers, despised by his brothers. They almost wanted to kill him. And one of the brothers said, no, we can't kill him. Let's sell him into slavery. So they rejected him. But then through dreams, through God's anointing, through God's sanctifying work and the heart of Joseph, he raises up interprets dreams, gets out of jail, literally sitting at the right hand of Pharaoh, ruling the whole Gentile world. And then God sent a famine into the land of his fathers. They had no bread. And he said, why stare at one another? You're going to starve to death. Go to Egypt. And they said, they'll kill us in Egypt. He goes, so what? 
We're going to die of starvation here. Maybe they'll have compassion on us. And so the brothers go down and they looked at Joseph, who is, run, who is dressed now like an Egyptian. It's many years later. He has the royal makeup of an Egyptian pharaoh. Literally, they would put and paint gold into their faces. He is speaking and barking Egyptian to them. And the whole time, they do not recognize that who they think of as a Gentile, Pharaoh ruling the world of ancient Egypt is actually their brother whom they rejected, whom they sold into slavery, whom they betrayed. And then the beautiful, glorious story of how finally Joseph reveals himself to his brothers. I, you knuckleheads, that's in the original Hebrew. I am your brother that you hated and that you despised and that you were jealous of and that you sold into slavery and even wanted me to die. But what you meant for evil, God meant for good. And look, my dad's hungry. I rule the whole world. Whatever you need, I will send you with camels laden with gifts and food and baskets and blankets and food and clothing and whatever you need. I'm ruling the world. I sit at the right hand of Pharaoh. Is that not the beautiful picture of the Lord Jesus Christ? who rejected by his own family and brothers, but in his second coming, he will reveal himself. They don't even hardly think of him as Jewish. But of course, and in fact, he really, really is. So it's beautiful to see what God is doing here. And then Moses, in his first coming, rejected. He thought, I'll rule, I'll, I'll, I'll adjudicate this. Kills an Egyptian. And they're like, who made you a ruler over us? Goes out in the desert for 40 years. But then he sees an angel. He sees a burning bush, but it never goes out. And he says, well, that's weird. That's strange. I'm going to go closer and see what this burning bush is. And out of the burning bush, a voice speaks, take off your sandals for the ground on which you stand is holy ground. And God reveals himself to Moses. And then he says, take the staff in your hand, go back to Pharaoh and you tell Pharaoh to let my people go. And I will be with you with signs and wonders. And in Moses' second coming, he comes with a staff of authority and power and the glory and the presence of Almighty God with signs and wonders that breaks the back of the Egyptian pharaohs, their magicians, and all of their sorcery and dark magic and demonology. He breaks it and reveals there is one who is El Elyon, the highest he is higher, higher, higher than all the other principalities, powers, mights, and dominions. Amen? Amen. Amen? So I love, you know, Stephen is preaching it. He is doing a great job, and he's setting the whole thing up for the revelation of Jesus as their Messiah that they just rejected. He's going to come back. So now, going on to verse 37. Verses 37 through 43. Now, Stephen's going to turn a little bit. He's going to stop telling the stories and he's going to relate Israel who repeatedly broke the law that they said they so loved. They go, hey, this Stephen guy, he's telling us we don't need to follow the law of Moses, which wasn't really true. But he says, look, if you want to talk about the law and not following it, hello, that's us, the Jewish people. So this is the story that he tells beginning in verse 37. He goes, this is that Moses who said to the children of Israel, 
The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brethren. Him you shall hear. This is he who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our fathers, the one who received the living oracles to give to us, whom our fathers would not obey, but rejected. And in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make us gods to go before us. As for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days, offered sacrifices to the idol, and rejoiced in the works of their own hands. Then God turned and gave them up to worship the host of heaven. As it is written in the book of the prophets, did you offer me slaughtered animals and sacrifices during 40 years in the wilderness? O house of Israel, you also took up the tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your God, Raphon, images which you made to worship, and I will carry you away beyond Babylon. Wow, man, he's really zeroing in now. They accuse him, you're, you're against the law. And Stephen's going, well, that's a fine thing for you, the religious leaders who say that they are the keepers of the law because our ancestors broke the law from the very, from the very moment it was given. No sooner had the law been given to the people than they disobeyed it by asking Aaron, make us an idol so we can bow down and worship the God we served 400 years in Egypt. We just got delivered from that. And they're, they're already wanting, because Moses took 40 days up on the mountain walking into the cloud. And by the way, why didn't all the people go with Moses up to the cloud where God was? Let me ask you a question. If there was a mountain, if you know, Mount Carmel, and there was a cloud, thunder, lightning, trumpets, voices. And we had Moses with us and he said, hey, anybody that wants to go with me into that cloud at the top of that mountain, let's go talk to God, see God, let God reveal himself to us. How many of you would want to go into that cloud? But the people said, we don't want to go into the cloud where God is. We're scared. Moses, you go. We'll stay down here. So he went, and he went longer than they thought. I don't know. They thought he'd be gone a few days. He's there for 40 days, talking to God, fellowshipping with God. How many of you would love to be in a cloud where God is, heaven on earth, for 40 days? you better than what we're living now. But then they were afraid. So he took too long. So they tell Aaron, make us a little golden calf. We'll bow down, and we'll worship it. After all the ten plagues, after all the miracles, after all of the signs and wonders. And these idols, so they started worshiping them in the desert. And the rest of the history of Israel is that they kept going back to the gods of the Canaanites or the gods of the Egyptians. And if I can summarize, these religions were obscene in their worship of sex. Not with a wife and within the you know, boundaries of a family, marital relationship, but with what they called the religious prostitutes. This was part of their religion. You could have sex with strangers, with anybody, foreigners, and consequently these little babies would be, you know, the, the women would conceive and have babies, and you're like, oh, I don't want to share my inheritance with that. What do we do with them? 
And then in the religion was, oh, those babies that came through the temple prostitutes, Molech wants you to put them on an altar of fire and melt them as a sacrifice. That's literally, can you believe it? That's what God was delivering the children of Israel from. And that's what they went back to. And God took it as long as he could and finally said, that's it. I reached my limit. You're unfaithful. I'm your husband. We got married together there at Sinai. And I gave you the rules and the laws of how you could have a happy marriage and happy children and a future and land and prosper. And literally, that's going to bring heaven on earth to you. But you went back to your old ways. You like idols? You unfaithful to me as your husband? Fine. But you're not going to love them anymore in my face here in my land. Go to Babylon, the capital of idolatry, and I will cure you of idolatry in Babylon. He sent them to Babylon for 70 years. And guess what? They got cured of that kind of idolatry after being in Babylon, used and abused for 70 years. So Stephen makes a good point. Israel repeatedly broke the law they said they loved. So look with me now, verses 44 through 50, God's true tabernacle. So where, okay, verse 44. He says, our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness. As he appointed, instructing Moses to make it according to the pattern that he had seen, which our fathers, having received it in turn, also brought with Joshua into the land possessed by the Gentiles, whom God drove out before the face of our fathers until the days of David, who found favor before God and asked to find a dwelling for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. However, the Most High does not dwell in temples made with hands. So the prophet says, Heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Has my hand not made all these things? Basically, what he is saying, they, they accuse Stephen of wanting to destroy the temple. But now Stephen says, that's what you did. You destroyed the temple of God by worshiping idols. And what sadly had happened is they turned the temple building into an idol. They had all kinds of laws and stuff about it, and you couldn't touch it. It was as if the building, the temple, was God or God's glory. And that's not true. That's why it says, no, there, there is God. How can you contain God in a little tiny building on the earth? Isaiah chapter 66, verses 1 and 2 says this, Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things my hand is made and all those things exist says the Lord, but on this one will I look on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit and who trembles at my word. God didn't want them to idolize a building or even a tent. Ultimately, God wanted to tabernacle with men. That's why Jesus is God incarnationally in the tent of the skin and blood and bones of Jesus. But even that wasn't, it wasn't just that God wanted to inhabit and tabernacle in Jesus, but then through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, 
He released the Holy Spirit to now come in you and me. We are the tent, our skin, our blood, our bones. We are the living stones that God wants to live and tabernacle and have him, his glorious children with. Amen? Yes. Don't idolize a building. So it's good that we got kicked out of ours. Amen? <laughs> Can't idolize it. It's nice, but, you know, see ya. Now, verses 51 through 53. Now, Stephen takes a little turn in his message. He says, he's talking, you know, ministering to the people in front of him, his own family, the Jews. He says, you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. <laughs> now, let me just say, as a Gentile, I should not say that to Jewish people. But Stephen is Jewish, so you can talk to your own people in a certain way. You know what I'm saying? So he is talking to them very direct. You always, listen to this, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. This personal application cut them to their hearts. He literally was saying to them, your dead traditions mean nothing to God. You have been hypocrites and you have pride within your hearts. And he says in the bottom line is, you have resisted the Holy Spirit. Hear my voice. It is always possible for a religious community or a religious group to tend toward formalism, traditionalism, you know, an outward formality that feels good, but is not really living inside of the heart. We must remain flexible and open and soft and tender to the winds of the Holy Spirit. Can I hear an amen on that? They have replaced Tradition for the living word of God. Well, let's wrap it up here in verses 54 through 60. It says, And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. I wish the next verse said, And they fell to their knees, asked forgiveness, and believed in Jesus Christ. They should have. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Woo. He's, he ends his message and he looks up and he sees into the spirit and he says, hey, I see Yeshua. He's standing at the right hand of Almighty God. Look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at his right hand. And then they cried out with a loud voice. They stopped their ears. They ran with him at him with one accord. And they cast him out of the city and then stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, not only is he the first martyr in the church after Jesus, but he dies like Jesus praying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and he cried out with a loud voice, Lord do not charge them with this sin. And when they had said this, he fell asleep. Oh, beautiful, Stephen. 
He didn't die. He fell asleep. The worst thing that can happen to a believer is you fall asleep, you wake up in heaven. Amen? Amen. But I want you to think about this in closing. The Jewish people, this is the third murder by the Jewish people. They permitted John the Baptist to be killed. Then they asked Pilate for Jesus to be killed, and now they were killing Stephen themselves. When they allowed Herod to kill John, they sinned against the Father who sent John. When they asked Pilate to crucify Jesus, they sinned against the Messiah and the Son of God himself. But when they sinned against Stephen, Israel sinned against the Holy Spirit who was working in and through the apostles and a young man named Stephen. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.